You didn't, you didn't get that part of the message from, um, you know, Governor Nix? Yes, yes, I actually did. That's, that's, what's, that's what's wrong is it's telling people we're sucking the joy out of life and like, no, we aren't. <laughs> uh, anyway. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 139 of the Movie Bite Podcast. It is a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and much, much more. I'm TJ, the governor here of this fine Movie Bite dimension where we pump fear and negativity into your minds through our cross-dimensional future machine. And joining me tonight from another alternate dimension is Joe Darnell. Mm. How are you, Joe? I'm doing good. So if I'm in another dimension, does that mean I'm in the... uh the uh wherever superman is from or i don't know a lord of the rings the middle earth uh, you said yeah. I'm in another dimension but superman happens in our dimension you know he oh. can they, they have that machine that can trap people in like the uh oh boy oh, yeah the like, phantom zone the phantom zone there you go that, that i think that's a dimension i i don't i don't the remember 1950s. For sure. yes mm-hmm. how's your day been going joe pretty good i've been uh I've been doing a lot. I've been doing some graphic design. I've been writing and I've been putting together my backyard grill so that I can make hot dogs tomorrow. It's fantastic. Lucky you. It's not raining where you're at. You know, it is. But in the backyard, we have a overhang ah. over the, the half of the back deck. So I just uh, scooted the parts over to that side. That would be super nice. I we I wanted to grill today. It's Memorial Day and I wanted to grill, but uh, no such luck. It's just raining cats and dogs. Mm. All and I almost stepped in a poodle. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, sorry, I, I sorry. Have, <laughs> I have total respect and reverence for the for the holiday, uh, but I don't really get to do much for it. Yeah, I don't have any direct connections to the military or officers, you know, of any kind. Yeah. Do, do y'all do anything? No, it's uh, it's a day off of work, and uh, I spent it's the pro- day working yeah. anyway. Not yeah, not it's for work work, but you know other things. Probably once every four years, there's somebody who invites us to a special gathering, and we're more than happy to go. The rest of the time, we stay home and we casually work. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we dive into some uh, movie news and, or as it is, TV news in this case? Uh, this is sure. uh, the second Humans teaser trailer. Robots are watching us. This is the best thing you will do for your family. Who brought it into the house and we don't know anything about it? It's a machine. I don't take orders from you. Your pulse is elevated. You should sleep. I helped create you. I'm a man. I'm not perfect. None of us are. I'm watching you. I'm watching you too, Laura. That was for the trailer for the upcoming TV series Humans, or I'm not sure. I think it's like uh, uh, like us colon Humans. I'm not sure. It's a little confusing the uh, the nomenclature of the of the TV show there. Um, it uh, it stars such people as William Hurt, Catherine Parkinson, Tom Goodman Hill, Gemma Chan. Uh, this is an AMC show. Um, I Joe, the reason I, I I saw this, I was scrolling through, seeing what the news was, and I'm like, why another robots are out to kill us? trope why are why are we doing this again haven't we done this enough have we on television 
Has uh, AMC ever touched on it? I don't know. I would just, it just seems like every time there's a, there's a, there's a drama about AI and robots, it tends to be that, that they're out to kill they're us. They're going to kill us they're all. They're going to kill us all. Every one Mindlessly. of us. It's, it's like, can we do something else, guys? And they all look like supermodels. Yes. So you should always. be wary of every supermodel you ever come in contact with. <laughs> I don't know. Are you going to watch this? Yeah, actually, I, I'm just intrigued by anything technology related. And since it doesn't have to do with aliens, it's this idea that in the near future, you have real life people, mm-hmm. that, you know, smart engineers and yeah. innovators building these bots and making them to essentially become our everyday servants, that the uprising of the servants has uh, always been a, a popular you know, thread throughout culture and history. And I think that people are just trying to give a new spin on things by saying the next step is when we we have enslaved artificial intelligent machines that decide that they <laughs> don't even like being enslaved. And I think that that's really far-fetched. But if someone wants to convince me otherwise by a really good narrative, then I'll let them you know give it a try. I just i i think it's I think it's getting preposterous because we we're still working on building robots that can flip our hamburgers. <laughs> and 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 we here we have you know totally realistic looking human beings supposed you know androids yep. and you know it, you know what's going on TJ I believe these are not digital doubles or puppets these are real life people pretending to be bots that would make total I'm wise sense to them. they look I'm, I'm wise to them <laughs> they look too much like humans oh wait it's a TV show <laughs> they might be wearing wigs <laughs> maybe so um, Ethan Anderton over on Slash Film, he's one of the new writers over there. He's the one that wrote up the article where I saw this, and he says, As you can see, the robots are pretty creepy. Regardless of how much they help humankind before they eventually turn on them, I'm not sure I could handle having one of them around the house. But I'm curious as to how this series will tread new territory with a premise that has been explored rather extensively in science fiction before. I'm right well, there with him. Yeah, and I'm far more interested in something like this than the zombie shows because – I think it's looking forward rather than looking backward um, and, and which a lot of the post-apocalyptic things do. I, I care more about the idea of here we've created something wonderful that goes awry mm-hmm. rather than saying here's something that's just going awry and it's getting worse and it's more awry tomorrow and oh my gosh, it's even worse the next day. You know, it's like that that just gets old to me. Um, really hard to stretch out that conflict. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, it's it's so fa- rarely done. I, 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 honestly, every time we see a robot, it's almost like, oh, well, we know this is HAL nine thousand all over again. But you know, it, it, when it is done, I, I tend to like it. Like like, look at Star Trek: The Next Generation. One of my favorite characters in all of TV history is Data, and he's he's always a good guy. He's there's never any question. <laughs> Well, except for a couple of episodes, I guess, where he got some weird software installed. <laughs> but for the most part, he's a good guy, and he you're rooting for him, and it's not like he's going to destroy humankind or the Enterprise or anything like that. And I just, you know, I just don't want to go down this road so so often. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind it once in a while, but it just feels like it's overdone. It's overdone. You know what they might could do to make it a little bit fresh is if only some of the androids, you know, tried to take over the world and then the other ones uh, stayed true to their original programming. Ah, iRobot. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, never We've mind. already done that, Everything Joe. Is done. <laughs> Let's do something else. I don't well, know. I'm ready to die now. I'm, I'm with you, though. left to live for. I'm with you, though. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll watch it just because it is a technology-related show and – even though I don't believe that, that robots uh, or androids or computer software can ever become sentient and, and someday maybe I'll be proven wrong. I, well, not I, sentient, <laughs> that they could become 
uh, far more advanced than they are today. Even though I don't believe that they can become sentient. I, uh, I, you know, I do enjoy this sort of thing to an extent. Um, and depending on how it's done, I could be completely wrong depending on how it's done. So I'll I'll watch it and see what's going on. I've, I've accrued so many TV shows. I'm going to have to call something though, because I keep saying I'm going to watch this one. I'm going to watch that one. And I know I'm way over the, way over the top now. (laughs) Okay. I I approve of you vetoing this show. Well, we'll see. I I don't know. I haven't compiled my list yet. I haven't put anything into the Hulu queue for next year yet. So we're, we'll see. We'll see. Speaking of uh, a post apocalyptic things, um, we have a, uh, a, an official date for, well, an official year at least for World War Z 2 or Z, World War Z, Z-I-I, as you quipped before the show. <laughs> uh, um, Paramount has set the debut date for the World War Z sequel with a mid-summer 2017 release targeted rather than a 2016. Specifically, the film is set for the same date on which Fox has already planted a flag for Fantastic <laughs> Four 2. So which one will move? Uh, that is a That is a good question. Um, oh, so we do have more than just a year. I, I had not read this part. It's uh, June 9th of 2017. Um, personally, I, um, I'm somewhat excited. I liked the first film. I know that it had some issues, and particularly I think that we even talked about – I don't remember, Joe, you have to forgive me if it was you or Chad that I talked with World War Z about – I don't remember what stage Movie Bite was in at that time. I remember watching it about the time that y'all were reviewing it. Okay. So I think I was on that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know that there were some issues specifically where the last act really kind of felt tonally different from the rest of the film and all that. But at the same time, I enjoyed the film. I really did. Um, I think if I remember right, I gave it three and a half stars. And I'm hoping for more from the second film. And I don't know. We'll see. I I find, again, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the post-apocalyptic stuff, but uh, I, I'd be willing to see World War Z 2. I would put it in the same boat with I Am Legend, mm. and it, it meets the spot. It's it's interesting. It has a lot to do, a lot more to do with suspense and drama than it has to do with just uh, like uh, horror. In you know, like a lot of the things might with zombies. So it has a lot of the sci-fi. It has a lot of the drama, and for those reasons, I enjoy it far more than you would your other zombie program. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of I Am Legend, I, I liked that film right up until the point where I didn't. I have not yet watched the alternate ending, which I hear is much, much better. Um, have you seen the alternate ending of, of I Am I Legend? I did, and I don't really remember uh, – I don't remember what I thought of it, but I do remember that – in general, I like that movie. It's not like the best of all zombie films of all time, but I really enjoy it. And I appreciate its historical relevance tying back into the Vincent Price movie. And, and you know, it was mm. based on another, you know, fictional work. And it's kind of interesting that it actually has its roots uh, pretty deep in the zombie lore. And it's it's just bringing it up to modern times. So in some ways, you're just limited by creating a spin on a, um, a, a remake and so it wasn't like they were trying to come up with an entirely original story. They were just trying to bring it up to modern times. Here's something I didn't catch when I first read this uh, article. This is They're talking about the release date for Fantastic Four 2. <laughs> I oh, was yeah? just reading in the comments. I just skimmed a couple of comments, and they said, uh, this is um, for Fantastic Four yeah. 2, which, which fan- the first Fantastic Four isn't even out yet. And so yeah. that's like, why are they even setting a date for the second one? So I suspect that it'll be Fantastic Four 2 that'll move dates. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that four times two equals eight, so I don't know what they're going to do with that. But uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea where you're going, Joe. Yeah, me neither. Okay. World War Z 2 and Fantastic Four 2 uh, 
This is confusing. Yes, it's it's confusing. And then you get two plus two is four, and four times two is four plus two is eight. And then, then when you carry the Z. Four, four times two, I was right the first time. Yeah. yeah. Carry the Z, and the Z is equal to what? Who knows? And it sounds like all algebraic to me. I uh, bet you it equals Star Trek. Yes, well, it might. It might actually equal Star Trek three because Paramount wants Star Trek three to be less Star Trek-y. This is according to Jermaine Lucier. He's reporting over at SlashFilm.com. Uh, Peg was talking to Radio Times Magazine via Trek Movie about Star Trek Beyond. That is the title of, uh, and again, I'm, I've, I've, <laughs> I just realized I was using Star Trek Beyond. 3, and it's not Star Trek 3, it's Star Trek 13. Anyway, the third <laughs> new Star Trek film, uh, and Peg was talking to Radio Times Magazine, and he said the following. They had a script for Star Trek that wasn't really working for them. I think the studio was worried that it might have been a little bit too Star Trek-y. That is Simon Pegg's <laughs> analysis of the situation, but it rings, I suppose, true. Um, the, the, uh, Jermaine says that's most likely the script from, uh, Roberto Orsi, Orchi. I can't, I, I think Clark has corrected me on that. I believe it's Orchi. Either way, it sounds inappropriate. Yes. Who was originally going to direct the film. Uh, Orchi is a hardcore Trek fan who, uh, was rumored to have gone very deep into the sci-fi bones of the franchise. Uh, Peg himself doesn't go into specifics about what he means, but he does add this. Avengers Assemble, which is a pretty nerdy comic book, supposedly niche thing, made $1.5 million. Star Trek in the Darkness made half a billion, which is still brilliant, but it means that according to the studio, there's $1 billion worth of box office that, d- they d- that, that don't go and see Star Trek, and they want to know why. <laughs> <sighs> Please kill me, Joe. Just kill me. I know. Star Trek is too Star Trek-y? Come on. Come on. Go, go get another franchise if you don't want Star Trek. Don't mess with my franchise. Leave me alone. What's wrong with but, you people? But this is coming from TJ, who is not especially fond of the last two movies anyway. That's not Don't true. You think they deserve what they got? That's not true. <gasps> what I, do you mean? Do you remember I rated Star Trek Into Darkness fairly highly? Yeah. And but, I, it's but, not but, that but, I hate. But, it's not that I hate the first Star Trek film. But either. the Wrath of Khan, man. The Wrath of Khan will never be topped. So you know. They can do whatever they want and make their billions. It's not going to matter to you. That's not true. That's not true. I have love for this franchise and these characters, Joe, and I don't want to see them less Star Trek-y. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Uh, I think that means that it all happens on Earth with uh, laser blasters and lightsabers. Uh, Jermaine Lucier does have an interesting uh, analysis. He says, by making it less Star Trek-y, according to Peg, that might mean to make a Western or a thriller or a heist movie, then populate that with Star Trek characters so it's more inclusive to an audience that might be a little bit reticent. To a layman, yeah, sure, why not? Okay, so he says, to a layman who only knows Star Trek from a few movies and general pop culture about the franchise, this may sound odd. Star Trek is a Western or a heist plot, but Trek experts such as Devin Faraci at Birth Movies Death point out that Paramount's idea of two Star trek might be completely wrong. He says, I read the last bit and I say to myself, oh, they just want to make it like the original Star Trek TV show, a show that was pitched as Wagon Train to the Stars, a space western, a show that had episodes where Kirk and Spock found themselves on a planet ruled by 1930s mafioso, a show where the spirit of Jack the Ripper took over Scotty, and a show where one of the greatest episodes is a submarine battle story. They had episodes that were courtroom dramas and episodes that were love stories. To me, that is Star Trek, a bunch of different genres and story types into which the Star Trek characters are inserted. So maybe it okay, won't so, be maybe it won't be so bad, but yeah. I, I, I just feel like this, this whole concept, Joe, of saying we want Star Trek to be less Star Trek-y is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard in my entire life, and I'm upset about it, and I'm going to continue to be upset about it. 
Well, what do you think of the idea of the whole story taking place on the holodeck? And that's why it's called Star Trek Beyond. <sighs> Joe, Joe, Joe. We, we, we have to get you up to speed. The holodeck did not exist in the time period which the new Star Trek films are set in. That was not a thing until The Next Generation. And frankly, the holodeck provided some of the least interesting Star Trek of all time. There was a couple of, of notable exceptions, but for the most part, if it's a holodeck episode, I didn't want to watch it. I didn't like it. Mm. Sorry, man. I, I, I just I'm, – I'm upset. I'm upset, man. I'm upset, Joe. What are you going to do about it? No, I'll, I'm going to give it to you. It's, it's your show. It's your movies. You know, it's, <laughs> it's what you do with it. I, I'm, I'm gathering that you don't care. I'm, I'm not – I don't really too, uh, care too much about the future uh, ups and downs of Star Trek. I mm. was really enjoying the ride with J.J. Abrams and – who knows? Maybe Brad Bird will wind up doing a Trek movie or two and now then another that, Star Wars movie or two. Or maybe they'll just merge the two universes. A Star Trek then, movie by Brad Bird. That would be interesting. Why not? I mean, why not, people? <laughs> um, I mean, like, throw Tom Cruise in there, too, while we're No, 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 no. Let's not do that. Let's not go. Let's not go crazy, Joe. Let's not be just crazy. That's ridiculous. Entron. Well, <laughs> okay. You're you're just you're you're just vamping now. I don't know what you're doing. I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it, it, uh, this is my problem with rumors. I guess is that when they're debating, you know, pre pre production things, and you don't have all your you know eggs in one basket. You, you don't know all the cast. You don't know if it's going to involve time travel. You don't know if the director is going to be official or not and if they're going to kick him off of the project halfway through. It feels like it's way too speculative. So this is not really Star Trek 3 or 13 that we're talking about. We're talking about hearsay. And, and that, that, you know, that, that annoys me a little bit. And, and for the fact of the matter, it's like, well, I might as well just be, you know, playing with my childhood Star Trek toys, action figures, and making up, you know, stories of my own and assuming that the film will be the same things that I came up it's with. It's not hearsay, though. What, what Simon Pegg is saying is not hearsay. He's saying that Paramount rejected the first script and his opinion, his, he was part of those negotiations. Pegg, Simon right. Pegg has been involved and he's saying that they felt like it was too Star Trek-y. That was his take on it. Right, but we don't know if he means too Star Trekky, as in like deep space, uh, you know, hunchback whales, or if he means you know tribbles. <laughs> you know, we don't know what he means by too Trekky. But here's the thing: so. the, the the hunchback whales, uh, the whale uh, movie, is considered to be the most accessible to non Star Trek fans. So, what are you mm. even talking about? <laughs> I would like to see a body swap between Spock and McCoy. What? You're just get out of town. Get out of here. Go, go away. Uh, so, so if somebody, if we ended Movie Bite or or uh, whatever, and then somebody rebooted it and they wanted it to be less Movie Bitey, what would you? How would you feel? Would you not feel betrayed? Like it's Movie Bite. Make it. Let it be Movie Bite. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> with that, I think that we should move on to the reason people are tuning into this episode. I think we should review Tomorrowland. Every second that ticks by, the future is running out. Newton? That's not mine. What's not yours? The pen. I've never... What if there was a place? Dad, I just need you to look at this. Does it look weird? A secret place. Nothing was impossible. You're not saying this! Casey, stop it! 
away! Did you see the dog? I want you to take me there! Take you where? Where'd you get this? Who are you, kid? That was from the trailer for Tomorrowland, which is in theaters now. It was released on May the 22nd of 2015. It had a budget of $190 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $32.9 million domestically. And the current worldwide gross, which does not appear to factor in anything worldwide, I think it's only a U.S. release, it is $41.7 million. The critic consensus is that ambitious and visually stunning, Tomorrowland is unfortunately weighted down by uneven storytelling. The director was Brad Bird. The writers were Damon Lindelof, Brad Bird, and then Jeff Jensen is also credited with having a hand in the story. Stars are George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, Britt Robertson, Rafi Cassidy, Tim McGraw, Pierce Gagnon, Thomas Robertson, Robinson. Yes, you did hear me say Tim McGraw. The composer was Michael Giacchino, and what an amazing score he turned in yet again, Joe. He he really has been doing a lot of fantastic work for the last couple of years, and uh, he boy, he just... He knocked this one out of the park again. Uh, yeah, I, I, most I, definitely. I could not I enjoyed be it happier. from beginning to end. Absolutely, it was the kind of film that uh, score that works on its own and in the film. Absolutely, I'm I'm definitely going to be. Uh, I haven't looked for it yet on Spotify. That's usually what I use for my music, but almost exclusively these days. But I'll, I'm going to be looking for that soon. So, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the story? Yeah, sure. That's here in the outline. Let's see here. It says, "Bound by a shared destiny, a bright, optimistic teenager bursting." With scientific curiosity and a former boy genius, inventor jaded by disillusionment, embark on a danger-filled mission to unearth the secrets of an enigmatic place somewhere in time and space that exists in their collective memory as Tomorrowland. That last part about collective memory was a little weird. Yeah, what the heck? This is not a dream sequence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, so, Joe, why don't you uh, why don't you kick things off and give us some uh, general thoughts and concepts of what's going on here? Yeah. Okay. So, interesting story to me because it has to do with all ages. It has to do with the past, present, and future. It involves this dimension and another one. You get to see, uh, you know, cultural diversity. You get to see uh, technology. You know, the byproducts of culture, mm-hmm. where you have the old technology, the present technology, and the future technology. You know, in the the present, you have the space programs shutting down and they're packing up their, you know, their rocket launchers and going home. And, you know, the main character is really, you know, bummed out by that and wants to see the space program reversed and started again. And then she's delightfully recruited to go join Tomorrowland. But everything in Tomorrowland doesn't look so great, right? So the future of Tomorrowland is looking bleak. And then it, it, with a double twist, it's not bleak for its own reasons. It's like a byproduct of bad things happening in our world. So it gets complicated pretty fast. And then you begin to realize it's, a, it's an optimistic, uh, altruistic humanist story that has a, a lot of preachiness in it. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to drive home uh, optimism. They want you to go away feeling hopeful. They want to dispel cynicism and pessimism and all those isms that – TJ just make you feel gross and they want you to feel good about yourself and you know make a difference in this world so sure when you when it's all said and done if you don't feel compelled to like jump out of your seat and go you know build an old rusty car and make it a refurbished antique you know take to you know a show or you know like Tim McGraw might or if um you don't feel like joining the space program and never going to space but always hoping that you will and thinking that you will until the day you die 
or you know just like making uh, the, the the you know the world a better place by saving one puppy at a time then um <laughs> they haven't fulfilled their purpose with this show uh, with this movie well joe my opening thought is this what the heck was tim mcgraw doing in this movie that was my that was my first question too what the heck what was that even about i don't understand but, but why mcgraw but why i don't uh, he didn't need to be in this movie he did he was just tossed in there he did not need to be in this movie. Uh, it was fine. I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's not that big of a deal. He, I completely agree. But I, I had the same you know, head-scratching moment like, are they going somewhere with this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I mean, he only, only has like a, like two scenes. Like it's not a big deal. Oh, three scenes. It's not a big deal. Um, apparently, he's the quintessential good father. Yeah, apparently. So my, my general thoughts, and this is really likes, I don't really have anything general as much as I have likes. Um, I, I, as I alluded to earlier in this episode, I'm, I'm really getting tired of this apocalypse dystopia stuff. And this movie, despite the fact that this theme is there, it really kind of thumbs its nose at the whole dystopian apocalypse thing. That, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, just, I did. did it, I like that? It really did. It was a lot of fun. It, this film is pure magic. It, it, it many times throughout the film, you Disney just feel this. Magic. Yes. You just feel this, this magic. Um, it, it's such joy and revelry in, in telling the story and in the filmmaking. Uh, it, it's all the stuff that I love about Brad Bird for the most part compressed into this film. Mm, you just made two very good points. This is a very much a Disney magical film and you're like the Cinderella magical quality sans, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. godmothers. But then it's very much also a Brad Bird film and that it almost felt like a – Incredibles, you know, story <laughs> yes. with live action. Yes, absolutely. At times. You know, th- it reminded me so much of the Incredibles, especially in the beginning of this film, because you know how the Incredibles starts with those interviews. And you've got the same sort of gimmick going on here where they're talking to the camera, but there's, there's, there's funny stuff going on and, and she's interrupting him. And, and, you know, it's just like with the Incredibles where, you know, he's, is this thing on? You know, it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's, you know, what? And he's, I don't know how to wear this thing. Yeah. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. And it's just, right. it's wrapped up in a very Brad Bird package. There was another little detail example of that where in the Incredibles, Brad Bird in the commentary, the director's commentary pointed out, he wanted to show that these superheroes could die, that, they, that all of their lives sure. were at risk in one way or the other. So he allowed for the um, the bad robot to actually cut uh, Mr. Incredible with a lot of the action. He you know, he actually – you know his skin does bleed. You know, he, he could die and they would zoom in on that so that you knew there was this like recognition that Mr. Incredible realized that he is mortal and the whole audience needs to be aware of this too. His life is at stake. And they did the exact same shot in this movie as well with the, with the girl Casey, who is the main character. Mm-hmm. There was a point in time where uh, she is under attack by a very unlikely enemy. And there's this moment where she's like tumbling through, you know, a blast shot and she looks down at her, her arm or something and sees that, the, you know, the sleeve is torn right through. And there yep. is the quintessential Mr. Incredibles cut right there on her arm to, you know, to prove it. So, uh, yeah, it was very Brad Birdian. Yeah. I was also thinking of a Ratatouille. Remember how in Ratatouille, you know, the film, well, it stops and it's, this is me, you know, and, <laughs> and it's the, the rat, you know, telling the story. But like Brad Bird really loves that. He couldn't really do that with uh, Mission Impossible uh, because that was kind of a different genre storytelling that he couldn't do. But I think he really loves yeah. to do that. And, and maybe in, in, in that way, ways, it made him feel like he was directing with one hand. <laughs> yes. In some ways, um, it, it it's very... Uh, humanizing even though in general i don't like the trope it, this film didn't really come back to it a lot it really just started and ended the film with the storytelling aspect of it that was fine 
Well, now that we are, we are talking about it, I wasn't anticipating that this movie would echo The Incredibles in any sort of way. Mm. But then it actually does in some other ways, just as like a, a story. Um, the, the group of the protagonists wind up going to another special place mm-hmm. and encountering an enemy that has all this technology at his disposal. <laughs> and in The Incredibles, it's an island. And he, the, uh, the evil bad guy has all these minions and they all work for him. And he has every form of technology at his disposal. And then in this one, you have an alternate dimension where the bad guy is the top of the food chain. And everybody who works for him believes that whatever he comes with up with should be, you know, accepted as, you know, undeniable fact. So, you know, all the protagonists are doomed to die or be outcast in the Monsters, Inc. sort of way if if um, the bad guy is good enough to let them live. Just kick them out of a door in through a portal into some beach scene and uh, let them rot there on a secluded desert <laughs> island. And who knew Dr. House was so evil? I don't know, TJ. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there was another way in which it was a, a lot like uh, The Incredibles. Uh, it starts out kind of in the 60s or in an old, older time, not current time. Uh, and The Incredibles did that as well. And I, I found that very reminiscent. Oh, yes. Oh, dude, now you just ruined the entire film for me. I did? <laughs> I mean, like in that way, it's like <laughs> I thought to myself, if Brad Bird was ripping himself off anymore, I, I would think that this was a cheap shot. But now, now that you mention it, it's like it's 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 reminiscent. I wouldn't call it ripping off. I and I enjoyed it. I really liked the 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 opening of this film and the way it started in the '60s, and really enjoyed that. And then you know how Casey kind of rips the story away from him and says, "Here, I'm going to tell my story now." You know, because this is really about me. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. And spe- speaking of Casey, what, Britt Robertson, fantastic, fantastic. Really, see, I thought uh, I was happy with her because she felt the, the she met the bill for the. Um, the Disney um, sort of ca- uh, sort of casting, but the, what uh, I, who I really liked more was the girl that played Athena. Oh, absolutely! I, I'm not saying I like one or the other better, but I like okay. them both a lot. Uh, definitely, uh, what was her name? I have it right here in front of me. Uh, it was uh, Raffi, Raffi Cassidy. Cassidy. Yes, she was fantastic. Um, I really loved the the subtle humor. Like you know, it, it was a little bit data ish. Like I I can't have an original thought. I can't. But she really could. You know, like she was totally <laughs> she was totally thinking on her own. I enjoyed and, it yeah. for what he was. But then this this was similar but more charming. Yes. Yeah. Well. Um. And even even though she was a little bit like uh, uh, it was a little inconsistent, but it was you know that's totally fine. It wasn't a big deal to me. But it was like I you know I'm a robot and I can't do this and I can't do that and da, 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 da. but but you know she acted of her own autonomy all the time and it was totally fine. And and she had that uh, British accent. Which why does a robot need to have an accent at all? Why can't it just whatever whatever place it's in? Why can't it use a native you know accent? I don't know. <laughs> it was fine. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, everything we've said thus far, I would not call really a spoiler, but now I just want to get into one of my likes that doesn't involve a major twist, but it would kind of spoil one little thing about the movie. Consider yourselves warned, audience. Yeah. Okay, so the launching the Eiffel Tower rocket. That's not just that's not a little spoiler, Joe. (laughs) You said it it would be just a little bit of a spoiler. Awesome. (laughs) It was amazing. It it was yes. (laughs) I, I was totally flabbergasted. Like. 
you know, up to that moment, there was all this preachiness about optimism and how we just need to try harder and we can do amazing things. And I'm thinking, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. That was pretty cool. Okay. But move on, move on. Okay. Wow. That was another little impressing bit. Okay. Move on. Oh, whoa. Well, nice explosion. Okay. Move on. Whoa. What just happened? The Eiffel Tower is up in the air. Whoa. And my jaw <laughs> dropped and I just could not get over what I was watching. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about just pure magic and joy in this film. Like it just, I, I don't understand the people who are having a problem with this film in general. Like I, I have some issues, but like I, and overall it was just such a joy to watch this film. I, I was like a kid again in a candy shop, you know? I, I think I know what it is, but it gets into one of the more, the, the dislikes. We'll mm. get to that in a minute. Okay. Okay. As, uh, tell me something else that you liked. Well, I, I really enjoyed the fact that the trailer, um, you know, actually the trailers gave away to me very little of the plot. Like I actually was misdirected by the trailers and thinking about this film and I was pleasantly surprised with how this film turned out. Like I thought somehow from the trailers that they were going to be traveling to the future and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like this. And I, it really turned out to be quite different from the trailers. And I found that pleasantly yeah. surprising. We're in, in, in an age when trailers, they, the, the studios think that they must, in fact, I just read a headline recently. That said, uh, tr- you know, the the trailer didn't tell enough of the plot, and so people weren't interested in the film. Like, I don't know. No, 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 no. No, I really enjoyed that the, the trailer worked well to hook me in. I watched the first trailer, and I was in. And yet it was so different from the trailer, and it was surprising, and it was still as good as I expected from the trailer. That's a rare gem, I think, right. in today's filmmaking. It, it feels like the kind of thing that would make an exceptional novel for young adult fiction that would make you know become a bestseller, that would be, you know, have its own specialized display at the front of Barnes and Noble for a month. And, you know, the next thing you know that there would be a follow-up story and, you know, the, the next book would be in the works and people would be raving about the author and everybody would be getting into these characters, Athena and Cassie and, and Frank. And, but then it's, it's like the one day after the culmination of hype for two, two or three years, they finally make the movie and, and sort of that gee whiz sort of moment. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's, it's, it's Harry Potter part one. And yes. everybody feels like, oh, well, this is a great movie, but it doesn't really work for all audiences. And a lot of people will actually say that they got bored with it or that it was not everything that it's cracked up to be. Mm. And it's because there are the true fans who, who are, you know, um, they are, uh, they have unfiltered, uh, unbiased optimism, TJ. And if you hate on this movie, you're just a bad person who that's, you know doesn't like the world. You hate the world, and um, that's you, where I'm coming know, from. You can eat a frog and die. <laughs> that's right. That's where I'm coming from. If you're if you're spending time hating on this movie, you need to rethink your life because <laughs> this was so much fun. Can I quote somebody? Uh, quote another one of our friends. Yes, he wrote a good review. Our friend Clark Douglas. He wrote a good review about this film, and I, I don't always agree with Clark, but when I do, he always has all the right words to describe mm, yes. what made it right. And, and here's what he had to say. This is the sort of film in which a great, uh, a great big, beautiful tomorrow can appear on the soundtrack without a hint of irony. And I admired the way that it sought to recreate the gee whiz wonder of old-fashioned science fiction. You know, the kind that imagined a future filled with flying cars and walkie-talkies yes. with yes. signals that traveled the globe. I, you know, that's a really good point. I was, I was reminded of the, the sheer kind of joy of the thinking of the future with Back to the Future Part Two, like just that trans, like the way they thought about the future was completely impossible and completely r- ridiculous. And even in, in for the for the day standards, nineteen eighty five, thinking about the future, it was totally not a plausible future. And that's the way I feel about this with this alternate dimension stuff. Like the joy was there, and everything is just like you know what? It's just fun and it's cool. You know, in, in that same way, it gave me that same sense of joy 
What's interesting too is that we, we've been pointing out that there's this alternate dimension where Tomorrowland exists. And what's unique about it is that for sci-fi, there's practically nothing to address the fact that this is an alternate dimension. They make really light of that. Yeah. It's like they're just flying away to Neverland. And the science behind how you get to Neverland is completely irrelevant. But don't you think that there's two reasons for that? I, I'd be interested to think to hear if you disagree with this, but there's two reasons I think. One is like you're saying, it's it's the, the Neverland thing. Who cares? Who cares how we get there and b it's it's accepted science fiction at this point it, it's not probably a real thing but it's accepted science fiction that there are, are alternate dimensions and, and alternate t- time either alternate timelines or alternate dimensions where we can we can kind of cross through this the sciency veil and be in another pl- place that occupies the same time and space but but it's an alternate place so i i don't think that it's necessary i think it's boring to explain it all again i i, I think that this film just does exactly what it needs to it says you know what this is in a different place. That's all you need to know. We're going to Neverland. Yeah, I agree. Um, that that That's all I really wanted to say about the detail concerning the alternate dimensions. It was just one of those things, though, that when they when they had this other reveal – do you mind if I give away one more spoiler? We've already sounded spoilers. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, when they revealed that Thomas Edison and, and you know um, Tesla and other interesting people Einstein. from – Yeah, the past – were all like working together and actually knew of this alternate dimension and uh-huh. things like that. And uh-huh. they had a special plan to voyage there on their own, mm-hmm. and, you know, cl- and, and as a collaboration. When they revealed that kind of thing as, as part of the backstory, it felt like it was – in a way, I can see where that would actually derive a lot of the criticism from adults who don't have any imagination and don't enjoy historical fiction. But Who-y for me, that? yeah, I mean like I grew up with a lot of historical fiction and that is the kind of thing that I love. Like I'm not really into national treasure, but there is a part of me that totally gets national treasure. Certainly not the second one. <laughs> yeah, the, the second one was a first bomb. One, first one was fun. Yeah, and the it, first one was I, fun. I have major problems with National Treasure, but it was fun. And, but but for those qualities that interwove this exciting backstory that involved the founding fathers and made them interesting people in a new way, you know, give them you know, like a, a new lease on uh, life, uh, creativity, you know, approaching them with like new eyes. Th- that was something that I really enjoyed that, that this film introduced, even if it was uh, just tossed in there and kind of, you know, they moved on really quickly. But for what it was worth, that was a nice touch. Yes. I have um, one more like, but oh, go ahead. Oh, well, um, I, I was just going to say that I really uh, enjoyed the the way the humor was infused in this film. Like it's completely and totally, you know, when 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 uh, when Casey <laughs> a lot of banter, like again, yes. like Brad Bird would. But when Casey, you know, is walking around and and falls down the stairs because she's not really in Tomorrowland, she's in a recorded commercial and it's you know projecting, uh, <laughs> and she felt like it's totally implausible that she wouldn't have broken her neck. But it's it's that sort of thing. Like you know, she's we she's get what's going character. on, and and she's like. I don't understand. Why can't I get to where I'm trying to go? I don't understand. And it was like you're wanting to yell at her, not in a bad way, but you're like, idiot. You're in. You're in the other place. You're just seeing this stuff. Like it was. That's how clearly I think Brad Bird was able to communicate what was going on. Uh, so it was. It, it was just a lot of that sort of thing. I found to be a lot of fun. Uh, one of the, my last point I wanted to make here in the list of my likes was that I really enjoyed the character of Athena. And part of it was the the charming personality and the great acting from Raffi. Yes. But the other part of it was just that, um, you know, the way they made her a, 
adorable characters. She was an android, but she felt completely human. You could understand why the character Frank would be charmed by her and have a crush on her as a little boy. Yes. And that he looked up to her. They became great friends. And she just seemed to be more than – she wasn't like a perfect person because she you could find reason to disagree with her about this, that, and the other. Like they didn't make her out to be a perfect android that always had the right answers and had everything figured out. Right. And was you know able to solve everything on her own. They actually made her quite human, which was part of her charm. Was there were She was just loaded with contradictions because – she had to actually think about a great many things. And then there were some things she thought she was incapable of doing, like she was the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) But then it it turns out she's actually not so bad at those things. It's just that she wasn't originally in her programming made with a directive to work in those areas. But then she's really smart. Like, you know, you know, Athena is supposed to be the goddess of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as it turns out, this girl uh, doesn't really realize how wise she actually is. And it, you know, I know that seems a little bit like ho hum snooze fest, but the way they executed it in the film, she was incredibly charming. And I kind of saw what was going to happen to her coming, but I still thought the character was totally worth it. Like she stole almost every scene that she was in. Yes, I completely agree. Fun fact, uh, when anybody uses the term uh, or the phrase uh, great many things, as you did uh, a few several paragraphs ago, um, <laughs> I get completely derailed. I, I My mind immediately goes to Emperor the Palpatine. <laughs> well, that's funny. You will find it is you who are mistaken about, about a great, great many things. things. Yes. Funny <laughs> that you should say that because Clue <laughs> said that in Tron Legacy. Oh, did he? We have accomplished a great many things. I didn't. I don't remember that. It's been a while He's, since I've he, seen he it. He said that in, in when he was addressing all of the programs. Interesting. Giving them the rallying speech. Well, are you ready to address a great many things that we might have trouble with? Yes, yes, yes. Please, DJ. I feel, I feel like, like your list have a little chart. Uh, you know, like a sound. You know, bit here, a little musical jingle, like. TJ's complaints, Joe's complaints. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking more of like the Imperial March or something. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, I feel like your list is going to be longer than mine. Uh, just looking at your star rating in the oh, outline. So okay. why don't you go well, ahead? Well, maybe I should update my star rating. I don't remember what it was. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll dive in first. Okay. Where are all of the Tomorrowlanders? In the at the beginning of the film, you got this idea that there's a lot of you know brilliant minds, hardworking people over there in Tomorrowland, and if they're creating this special secret society for many decades, that they've accomplished all of this world building. Like you've seen the real world, you've seen uh, historical events of the past with some flashbacks, and you see like all of this, you know, these bad things happening on. The, the monitors that Frank Miller is using while he's, you know, like Frank watching Walker. the world. A walker? Okay, thank you. Yeah, when he's like observing how the whole world is coming to an end. But then uh, while with all this world building, they establish how Tomorrowland is supposed to be this special haven for the best and brightest people, the peacemakers. And when they finally get there, you don't see much of anyone you, there, there's a few people, but they have no voice parts. They, they have no uh, character parts. They're not on screen to say anything. You hardly see their faces, and they can walk through lots of the city streets. You see the outside of buildings, the inside of buildings, and no one is there well, besides their governor. Let me address my take on that. Um, we when when uh, when Frank Walker, as a kid, got there, we never saw all that many people. The only time we ever saw a lot of people in Tomorrowland was for the recorded Hollow commercial. 
I don't know that it was ever that populated. I think they built it and anticipated inviting more people, and I don't think that it was ever – you know. and it seems like maybe a few people got kicked out. Maybe some people died. Um, I, 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 I bought that. That wasn't a big deal to me. Okay. I, I, st- I still can't in, uh, fully embrace it, um, but I, I understand where you're coming from, and th- that's a plausible explanation. There's also this um, uh, issue that I have that when Frank Walker was a kid – and he comes into Tomorrowland for the first time. He's on a jetpack and he's falling through the sky. He's falling through the clouds and the buildings go way above the clouds. And then he's falling and he's falling and he's falling. He finally gets the jetpack on and he flies around the city and you see people, you see things, you see that, you know, they're crystal clear water and they're, they're beautiful landscaping and they're, they're polished sidewalks that you could, you know, eat off of. But then in the future, when they go back to Tomorrowland, I guess the buildings could have been as tall as they were when Frank was a kid, but it didn't seem to me that the buildings were as tall as when they were when Frank was a kid. You're overthinking it, Joe. It, it, it like they were not touching the clouds, mm. you know. And if they if they if they were, uh, they didn't present them correctly for uh, those various scenes. I think you're overthinking it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, but the thing is, when they fought so hard to make so much of the world building feel so great. For not just a Disney movie, but for sci-fi also, mm-hmm. something that seemed like it should have been so immediately apparent and, and very consistent. Remember these filmmakers, essentially the same people who make Marvel movies. And when you can watch with a careful eye the entire, the entire Avengers film and you never question the validity of that piece of land flying, floating in the sky and while Ultron is about to destroy an entire civilization as you know it, um, you know – it feels like, well, if you could pull that off, can't you make the buildings seem a little bit more consistent in Tomorrowland? Like it wasn't, it wasn't that hard for you to pull it off in this movie. How, how, why can't you just pull it off here? You know, go a little of the extra mile. Yeah, you say it's made by the same people that essentially make the Marvel movies, but just because it's produced by Disney doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, I'm looking at the producers list and the in the uh, the film editing list and the the effects list and stuff. I'm not seeing a lot of crossover there. I'm not seeing okay. a lot of names that I recognize. So you say that. I just mean in the huge family conglomerate of Disney filmmakers. Yeah. The quote unquote same. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, um, I don't have a problem. Any, okay. Any. Th- throw one of your dislikes out here. Why was Frank Walker kicked out? I never got a clear understanding of what happened. Oh, they just didn't like him. It was biased because he introduced a technology that scared the living daylights out of them and they didn't know how to handle what he had created. And, and so yet it turns out that they punished the maker rather than you know uh, finding a way to solve the message bear you know the message that he had brought. You know and yet I mean? it turns out that the ones who kicked him out are the ones that are doing the evil stuff with the technology he created. Right. It doesn't right. make any sense. And and I it never really. I never got an understanding of what the reasons were that he was kicked out. What what they was the deal? They kicked him out because they didn't like what he had discovered. Mm. He was he, it was a guy who uh, you know who uh, found something very important and relevant. And nobody liked him for being able to calculate to the end of the world. And then uh, along the same lines, when they come back, uh, Hugh Laurie, um, uh, Nix, was like, oh, you obviously trained her on how to use this thing. Like, like, but that doesn't mean I don't even I don't even, she's like wiggling her hands around this globe like and it didn't seem that big of a deal. I don't understand <laughs> what the whole deal with that was supposed to be. It was just weird. 
Really? So, so you didn't appreciate the interface of the uh, like the virtual reality portal that could show I, you anything? I appreciated in the what it was doing. I did not appreciate making a big deal out of the mechanics that made no sense. And you've well, obviously it, trained her on it yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's basically the all-seeing eye, yeah. virtually speaking. <laughs> yes. I mean, like you could see anything. Imagine where your mind could wonder if you had a dirty mind. And they're just using it for completely, you know, normal everyday week. You know, reasons like well, let's check on the weather in you know three weeks. Oh look, the world's gone in three weeks. How did that happen? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It was just a little bit strange. Um, I, uh, I found this business with, uh, Casey being a vandal, very hard to buy, uh, and trying to vandalize NASA. And it wasn't entirely clear what she was doing. I, I, I get it. I like, she was like, Oh, NASA and space. And we shouldn't, we should be continuing forward and not tearing it down and stuff. But I yeah. just didn't buy it with the rest of her personality and what was going on. It's and- funny. It's funny the way you put it that way. It reminds me of the character of Sam Flynn from Tron legacy at the beginning of the movie. He, he's his father's son who just wants to sort of addle and, you know, keep the big businesses uh, in line. And so the only way he knows how to is to go in and hack their system and give them a hard time and make them, you know, lose profits. But it was much jump. more believable for him as a character than it was for Casey and the rest of what, of what we know about her. I don't know. And I just again, found it weird. You're, you're right. In that manner of speaking, it feels like she was a character out of a young adult's fiction novel. That's that's one of the reasons I, I pointed that out earlier was that it didn't feel entirely true to what you've come to expect from movie characters. It's the kind of thing you'd expect from something that came out of young adult fiction for young adults that winds up in front of adults in a movie just because, well, you're taking your young adult to see a movie based on a young adult fiction novel. Yeah. Uh, another complaint that I had was the mechanics of the pin were not always consistent. Uh, first of all, like the the whole thing of what it did, like for for Frank Walker, the thing the laser beam scanned it, and then he goes down through this vortex and goes through the light thing, and he comes out on the other side, and and it was entirely different than when Casey touches it, and now she's transported to this weird place and yes. and then like the mechanics of it like what is its orientation it, like the whole like why <laughs> it, it makes you think oh, boy i don't know it makes you think that it's a real time and place that it's transporting her to but then it turns out it was just a recording so what is the orientation of this thing how is it that she can walk up and down stairs and hold things for real in this place and be affected by uh, gravity and and the the real the, the things that are fake that are being projected and yet she's also affected by things in the real world and it just none of it made any sense yeah it was sort of like augmented reality but everything she sees is from the virtual world so her body is still in the real world and anybody looking at her would just think that she was having a terrible hallucination right right i don't know it was just very strange uh, I, I wish that, that it had been a little thought through a little bit more no. that's probably where i'm overthinking this a little bit hmm yeah. Do you do that, TJ? Occasionally I do. Mm. Whoa. I, I have a movie podcast that I where I do this. <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard of it. <laughs> okay, so another one of my th- issues was here that was that the uh, the fashion sense of clothing and dress of any kind in Tomorrowland was kind of offbeat. <laughs> well, in, yes. In the in the 1960s, it all made sense. It looked like something out of again, The Incredibles. But if you were in the real world in the 1960s, you wore regular plain human, you know, American, you know, clothes. You would wear three-piece suits. You would wear a modest dress for just the everyday occasion. And they did that and they depicted it uh, historically accurately in the film. But then in Tomorrowland, you're wearing some wacky stuff that looks like a space-age jester suit. And then other things look like 
Boogie's Floobies from Spy Kids or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> what the heck are they wearing? By the way, and, I, I heard you were hating on Spy Kids on another podcast. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I love that movie. You know, I, I feel up up and down with the Spy Kid film, but the or the first one was the only one that I think is half worth it. I haven't seen the others. This is the first really? one. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> and and probably the other ones are tainting anything that was good out of the first, first one. First one was I, really good. You should revisit it. I watched it three times about once every five or six years. And, and then I watched it again with the kids about two years ago. And I was just like, yeah, I think I'm done with this. But <laughs> I, I appreciate some of the basic concepts. And, and this is the kind of film that if it were handed it over to a lesser film director, I think that it would have wound up more wacky. Like, you know, a, uh, you know, what is his name? Um, uh, that actor, who is that actor? Um, the famous one, Jack Sparrow, Depp, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah. If handed off to another director, then Johnny Depp would have wound up being the governor of Tomorrowland and it would have been like Willy Wonka. It would have just been disgusting. And uh, thank God that Brad Bird was attached to this thing. I don't know how we got here, but I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> that, that, that is one of my likes. Uh, that in an alternate reality, uh, Tim Burton was you know directing. Oh my this gosh! Film, or if Tim Burton had directed this film, it'd Spy be horrible. Kids. Yeah, or the, the guy from Spy Kids was directing this film, and, and, and mm. no, that would have just okay. ruined everything. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so another dislike. Uh, special people. This game keeps coming up throughout the film. They have this idea that um, it, it sounds sort of like Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And if you don't know anything about that, then uh, good for you. And you don't need to look it up. It'll just ruin your life and you know give you a bad week. And you know it'll ruin Memorial Day <laughs> or whatever it is you're experiencing right now. Um, okay, to suffice it to say, this idea is very kind of elitist that all these special people will go off to Tomorrowland and create a better place and they'll be able to, you know, innovate and feel, you know, like all of their creative juices are liberated and they can do anything they want without the government, without responsibilities. They'll cut all social ties. They can be whoever they want and make the world a better place. Not in our world, but in the other world, in Tomorrowland. And then maybe one day, hundreds of years from now, we're not sure, maybe a few uh, decades from now, we just don't know. When they are finally comfortable that they feel like they have arrived and they know how to bring all of us mentally handicapped, pathetic, normal, average people over into their world, then they'll slowly accept us into their society while they can assimilate us and make us into their image and so that we can appreciate, you know, heaven on earth. But don't you think that was part of the point that Brad Bird was making is these people were being elitist and irritating and stupid? Yeah, but it's sort of a catch-22 because you really want to like Tomorrowland. And you and you appreciate how a lot of the of what they have going for it, this idea that, uh, you know, if you would get off your butt and you'd not be so lazy and if you would try harder, you could make the world a better place. And that's an important message. And that's what I wanted Tomorrowland to stand for. But then, as it turns out, they keep on saying, oh, you must be a special person to come over into Tomorrowland. And and then even the protagonists back that up at the end of the film, that they're only seeking out the special people. Well, at first, though, my, my impression was they want to rebuild Tomorrowland. They, you can't yes. just bring anybody over to rebuild it, but <sighs> it's, they're going to open it up eventually. That was my impression. I, I think I the one is, it's a message of I, hope. <laughs> I, I feel like it's just unnerving to everyday people because it instantly sounds like uh, sounds like a, cla- a sorry I cannot spec 
Spec. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like a um, a class warfare issue. Oh, for sure. I, I, think I understand you're right. why a lot of people would misconstrue it, and that would be one surefire way, very quickly, to taint a lot of people's opinion of this mm. movie because they would not understand why this would be a noble cause, and this is be, this would be the best way to do it. Mm. I suppose. I suppose. Um. Um. Okay, so my last complaint. Go for it. Was um. Let me see here. How do how do I put this into words? Uh, one of my problems with this movie was that uh, the first act and the second act feel like they were just waiting to give you a great big reveal. You just you just know it's going to be a good one. Hang on to your seat, pal. Oh, we got to go. With, and they're doing this the whole you know first and second act, and I'm like, ah, oh, come on, give us a little bit more information than you are, because when they finally revealed everything, it happened so fast. And it was, um, so act one and two were consumed by a lot of like, just, you know, journey, you know, uh, like, um, slow, uh, sort of awkward journeying by various means into Narnia. Mm. <laughs> and it was, um, very complicated, fun, interesting that he did a good job with it, but heck, Mr. Incredible got to the Island a heck of a lot faster than any of these characters got to the other world. <laughs> And, and so when you finally get to Tomorrowland, everything was so daggum rushed and then it's over. So in a sense, you could have, in a sense, you could edit down the first two thirds or more of the movie into like a super cut that would last maybe two or three minutes. And then you could just watch the last 20 minutes of the movie and you'd have a television, you know, length episode of this entire story and you'd be okay. I, I, I only partially agree with you. Um, I, I think that I wish that we had spent more time in Tomorrowland. I, nowhere near the level that you, you seem to be on. It wasn't that okay. big of a deal. To okay. Me. So plot point TJ here, here's my thing that it works the way they characterized it in the movie, but Athena being a bright, uh, young Android, uh, has all of these Tomorrowland pins that she gives out to special people. Mm-hmm. And since she only has like one left or something like that, she has to make sure that it works and that it pays off. So she she has to do something to get it to Cassie and make sure that she's able to legitimately recruit Cassie. So she manages to give Cassie the pin, but not to follow up with Isn't her immediately. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Casey. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. Okay, so she gives it to Casey, but she doesn't stay around to show Casey immediately what to do with it. Yeah, it was a little weird. And why did Athena leave? Like, she's an android. She doesn't need to sleep. She doesn't have anything else to do. She wasn't around. What was she doing? Why was she gone? Why didn't she just stay on target, stay around Casey? Because she left Casey to come up with some bizarre, you know, conclusions based on misinformation and ignorance. So then that was fun. But then eventually, uh, they have to get Frank's help. And I'm not entirely clear on why they had to get Frank's help. Was it the assumption that Athena didn't know how to get back to Tomorrowland? Yes, I think and so. so. They and had certainly, to, to even if she did, on... she couldn't do it herself and expect to survive. Okay. I just felt like, given all of Athena's wits, that she should have had a solution to getting over to Tomorrowland much more reliably then assuming that she would be able to get Frank uh, Walker's cooperation. And so is something in there feels like this Android has had all these years 
to come up with a plan and your best plan is to stay with your original plan that has already been canceled. So I feel like Athena could have come up with a better, better plan and having done so, then we could have skipped the first two thirds of the movie and Frank Miller wouldn't have even been necessary. I mean, like, you're, you're reminding me though of when, uh, uh, somebody, I can't remember who it was. I, I think it might've been the Tolkien professor and he was asked, you know, and I, I may be completely getting this wrong. Maybe somebody else that said this, but he's asked, you know, why, why was there, uh, why didn't the Eagles just take Frodo and Sam to Mount I, I, Doom yes. and, and then they could just drop the ring and well, because then there wouldn't be a story. Yeah. I think it was the, how it should have ended series. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, I don't quite, I'm, I'm not quite tracking with you there, Joe. Mm, okay. Um, again, it's not a huge complaint. It's just one of those kind of things where it's like, uh, I feel like it could have happened some other way and it would have gelled better, mm. but then they would have had a shorter movie. I suppose so they had to stretch it out. Hey, you want to talk about some things I don't like? <laughs> yeah, please. What, what was up? Why Why did the robot have to be this kid? I, I loved her to death. But then it just got weird because you got George <laughs> Clooney. You got George Clooney who's, what is he, in his 60s, 50s? I you, don't know. Okay, you and know then why. You, uh, just, mm, it's just but weird. Wouldn't it have been weird if the child, Frank Walker, had fallen in love with No, Athena, I know, I know. Any way you look at it. And enjoyed? like, I feel like they tried to not make it a romantic thing and it wasn't supposed to be, but it just felt weird. Because, you know, <laughs> the reason you, you go there in your mind is because they do, he does obviously have this crush on her and this romantic feeling for her as a kid. And then all of a sudden he's adult and she's still this kid robot. And, you know, she's, um, she's, spoiler alert, toward the end of the film, she's dying and he's, uh, you know, he's telling her, you know, she's telling him things and he's telling her things and it's just like mm, it just yeah, i wish it felt didn't feel so weird I, I think it's going to feel weird and i think that it's sort of inescapable that we're going to encounter more stories that do this sort of thing because if there is a potential world where even without tomorrowland let's say that you know uh inventors today a lot of these designers and you know these interesting technologists they they think that they are going to someday make an android like uh, machine mm -hmm. that is essentially like Athena and you could build one that's a you know 19 year old guy a 48 year old man a, a quintessential 32 year old school teacher you could make them to feel in every way like an everyday human being but they're completely android mm. and if that's if that's the case then the, all the movies, TJ, all the great movies wanted to get on the bandwagon and start debating like what are the social quandaries if someone has a close relationship, not just a romantic one, but a close relationship with an android like that. Does age matter? Does the fact that it's it's not a real person matter? And this was raised in the movie called Her yes, starring yes, uh, yes. Scarlett Johansson and uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And so the question being like, can you have a, a friendship, a relationship of any kind with a machine to this level to prove that artificial intelligent or not, they are in some way a, a version of sentient. Mm. And if they're sentient, then can't you be as close to them as you can be a human being and relate to them? Because what makes a human being anything special? We're sentient is the assumption of science fiction. So, you know, Frank Walker, he's a kid and he sees this girl who acts like a normal girl and who happens to have exceptional abilities. And over time, she's befriended him and helped him out so much that, um, yeah, he, he develops a crush on her. But then 
as, as things turn out because his entire life is consumed by his work and she is virtually the only best friend he ever made. It's really difficult to get over the fact that he is human and she's never going to be human and she could not grow up with him. And so I think that the anguish you see Frank having at the end of the film is that he realizes that even though they were the best of friends, they were torn apart and they didn't get along for so long and he regrets the wasted years. But then now he looks at her and he feels like he's moved on. And at the same time, he has not. And this is so confusing because mm-hmm. she should be a little girl but she is older than he is right like, this gets so confusing so fast and you can imagine the turmoil that frank is going through because in his head he knows in a scientific way this all technologically makes sense but to his heart it's just wrong it's bad and he doesn't know how to live through it but he has to live through it and so i i appreciate that kind of complexity because even though this is a kid's film I think that if inventors get what they want, they may not be able to make a, an Android that is as sophisticated as a little girl like Athena, but they could build a, an artificial intelligence that mimics human behavior well enough that you can have some sense of a friendship with one. And you know, TJ, that people are going to be all over that like they think that that is better than a real-world relationship because one with an artificial intelligence can be controlled, monitored, and improved upon with the latest upgrade. (laughs) So, yeah, you know that people are going to idolize the value of that kind of relationship. Yeah. So I I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's difficult. Yeah, I I agree with everything you're saying. It's still weird. (laughs) Very weird. It was very weird. All right, I have just one more thing, and I think we need to start wrapping that up. Okay. Um, But uh, the, the, the thing is this. Um, are we really trying to say with this film that that humans, just by the thinking and their negativity, are going to cause the apocalypse? Uh, or you know, I, I guess I guess what I'm driving at. I know that we have all types of different people that listen to this podcast. We have Christians, non Christians, whatever. And I'm obviously I'm a Christian. I'm approaching this. I'm like I, I'm not on board with the humanistic message. I guess is what I'm getting at. And there was some pretty heavy handed humanism being hinted at or or outright given to us and ladled to us in this film. And it even I think even if you subscribe to humanism, it feels heavy handed. It, it's not the sort of thing. It's like as a Christian, when when the Christian message is, hey, get up, walk down the aisle, and do the altar call thing, like that. that just bugs me to death and i just it's just so heavy-handed it's just frustrating and i think just about everybody agrees with you um there's been a lot of critics have reined in on the same point yes i i that's and and that's why i feel pretty safe making it here i i just i feel like it's just so happy clappy goody goody uh everything is going to be fine and all roses if we can just turn our thoughts and lift ourselves up by our bootstraps and be happy and it just mm, that just sort of bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh that's that's all I've got though, man. You got anything else? Um I had this one bit. This is a uh, another quotation. Um that, that comes from our friend Clark, if you don't mind. Uh sure. but it goes back to the uh, political themes and this is something that I I I'm still trying to digest and it, it relates to what you're talking about, TJ, but also in the grander scheme of things. Uh, more tightly knit to just the humanism. So ever since releasing the incredible, okay, I'm quoting now ever since releasing the incredibles bird has been dodging charges of being a Randian objectivist. I think those charges tend to be, get blown out of proportion, but tomorrow land is only going to add fuel to the fire. 
Bird imagines that the best way to fix the world is to take our best and brightest people, our special people, as the film calls them, and permit them to pursue their own happiness without oversight. The problem is that his plan has not, sorry, his plan not only entails liberating the imaginative, but locking out the ordinary. The film suggests that Tomorrowland should eventually become a reality for everyone but not until af- long after it becomes a reality for the special people who really deserve it. Mm. There's a weird little subplot involving a secret society of cultural supermen, Vern, Einstein, Tesla, Eiffel, who kept their most imaginative, magnificent inventions hidden from the public. When we're ready, the gatekeepers will open the gates. I'm not sold, and not just because I lack the optimism required to earn Tomorrowland and, and, and a Tomorrowland entry pin. By all means, let's dream big. But whatever we do, we're going to have to find a way to do it together. So he and you are thinking more alike on this. Yeah, yeah, but but it, it, at the at the well, you know, it, I mean, if you want to get Christian about it, you know, uh, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations doesn't mean hey, go off and become monks, build you know the best you know uh, you know sort of like you know temple to the Lord you could ever imagine live out in the boonies and just worship all day and cut yourself off from the rest of society and, right, and develop right. a secret society. <laughs> right. um, the, the solution cannot be a secret society. And um, Well, we've seen and, how and well this, Christians' secret societies work out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but this is a, a human, yeah. And this is a humanism uh, secret society. And for that reason, it's kind of like, well, they haven't learned from us yet. I guess they got to sow their oats and figure this out for themselves. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I can appreciate the charm. I understand why this premise is attractive to them and why everybody winds up trying it at least once. Yeah. I mean, to me, the charm far outweighs. Uh, it's just such a fun movie. So well, let's let's wrap it up, Joe. And uh, why don't you give us just your final uh, two or three sentences and uh, your star rating? I'm limiting you. To, no, I, I don't care. I'm just saying whatever. <laughs> your star rating must be a minimum of five. Yes. Go ahead. I I enjoy the film. I liked the faces. I thought the care the actors did a good job with a difficult script. There were things that we didn't even touch upon that were just fun in films like um the what was it called um Blast from the Past store. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of silly and it's good for kids and lighthearted fun and action. But they go into the store and there's all of this Star Wars memorabilia. Mm-hmm. It feels like inside cookies. Uh, and that was fun. It may be a little bit overkill, but it was fun. Who cares? La- you know, laugh it up. Have some fun, people. You're eating popcorn during this movie, I hope. And um, I was. And, you know, got Hugh Laurie. Uh, I really like Hugh Laurie. Um, I don't feel like this is his best role, but most of his movies are not his best roles. He's best in comedic roles. And I can see the appeal of him being in this film. So, uh, yeah, all the more power to Disney. I appreciate that someone made this film because I've always enjoyed the to- the topic of Tomorrowland. It was also brought up in one of the Batman animated series movies called The Phantasm, and that was pretty cool when the Joker is using the Tomorrowland like theme park as his secret lair. And I just think it, in a nerdy way, it's it's an interesting mystique to to go off into Tomorrowland and. Uh, for reasons like that, I, I'm happy with this film. Yeah. Uh, I uh, Did you give your star rating? Three, uh, yeah, three and a half stars. All right. I, 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 uh, I really enjoyed this film. It's, it's just like I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, review. It's just so joyful. It, it just, it's excited to tell you a story. 
And it brings you so much magic and joy and, and just the charm of this film just is, is oozing out of its pores. I did not have any problem with the pacing like a lot of people did. I didn't have that many problems with the storytelling. I do wish we would have spent a little more time in, uh, in Tomorrowland. But all in all, I really enjoyed this film so much. I have to give it four out of five stars, and it is highly recommended. Uh, I I will be watching this film again sometime, and I, I can't wait to show it to my kids. Oh, okie doke. And uh, IMDb users uh, rate this uh, 6.9 out of 10 uh, as on the whole, and Rotten Tomatoes uh, critics are at right at 50%. They're just split down the middle. The audience is a little better at 61%. So this film has certainly been polarizing. Um, so it's, it's a little frustrating to me. I, I, I just wonder why people want to suck the joy out of life, but, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. You didn't, you didn't get that part of the message from, um, you know, governor Nix. Yes. Yes. I actually did. That's, that's what's, that's what's wrong is it's telling people we're sucking the joy out of life and like, no, we aren't. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. TJ, that was your best, uh, quote ever. All right. Uh, sure. We'll go with that. Well, if uh, if you want to find Joe Darnell on the internet, uh, where where can people do that? Um, just look up um, the internet and type in Joe Darnell, and you'll find me. And uh, if that doesn't work, then I'm on Twitter as underscore Joe Darnell. If you want to catch me on my other shows, there is Top Brew, and that is the Top Brew po- podcast. That's topbrew.fm, and the Tech Show, which is techtonic.fm, and Tech is spelled T E C H Tonic FM. So and just for fun, I just Googled your name and Joe Darnell.com is the first thing that comes up. Your Twitter is the second thing that comes up and there are several images or there's at least two images of you. Um, and then there's your oh. profile on LinkedIn, your profile on Facebook. And then there's a Joe Darnell in the white pages. Uh, and there's a Joe Darnell, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you, if you Google Joe Darnell, you will definitely find the correct Joe Darnell. Mm. If you want to find me on the internet, uh, you can also try Googling for me. Let's see what that comes up with. Uh, Some t- people do yes. want to find you, TJ, t- believe it or not. TJDraper.com is the first thing that comes up. That's uh, It's kind of not really kept up, but that is one of my websites. Uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter, that is the second thing that comes up. Uh, my Facebook does come up. Uh, I'm a little, mm, a little, Facebook's a little different. I prefer you follow me on Twitter. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, that, that's where you can do that, TJ Draper Pro. If you want to get show notes for this episode, they are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 139. Uh, that is also an, a URL that you can share with people. Let them listen to this. If you really enjoyed our review of Tomorrowland, uh, you can share that URL with them, and they'll go right there to it. And uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Uh, we don't know what we're reviewing yet next week. That's been a common refrain, Joe. We can never figure out. I, I kind of like this. Living by this on the seat of on the edge of the... What is, what is the phrase I'm looking for? By the seat of our pants or the edge of the bootstraps? I don't know. Whatever it is. We'll figure it out. Have a great week. Talk to you later. See you, Joe. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.